1: They're united
2: Maybe. in New York on not competing to raise the salary of Aaron Judge. No, that's not what they're united on. So you, you misspoke already. It's not saying don't sign him. It's saying you're still going to pay him a lot of money, but we're not going to pay a dollar more and take him.
3: But David, but David, we're talking that
2: doesn't mean the Giants won't.
3: In my view and in the view of a lot of people is not always the best for the game.
2: Because it's best for the game if Aaron Judge goes to the Mets for $352 million instead of $349 million. It's best if everyone 80s.
3: competes.
2: It's best if everyone competes, yes. Everyone does compete, but not everyone can compete on the same but Except
3: for when the New York Mets owner has got to get a vote and he's got to get 23 votes, so we're not going to compete in this instance.
2: Oh my God, that never happens anywhere else but baseball. You're totally right, my bad
0: clearly these owners have plenty of money to share with the players the idea that the Mets and the Yankees might have a wink wink agreement on keeping down Aaron Judge's salary
2: that's not what the wink wink is Dan the wink wink is hey we're not going to take Judge from you that doesn't mean that his salary is going to be held down that doesn't mean the Yankees can all of a sudden offer Aaron Judge 220 million dollars and say thanks for the 62 home runs we'll give you a seven million dollar vig because Steve Cohn's not going to bid for Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge's money's not being held down by that.
4: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, November the 27th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, dot TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sighted Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you had a chance to take some time off and have a little, you know, five-day weekend, depending on how many days you took off. If you took off the day before Thanksgiving, four-day weekend, whatever you may be lot to talk about here on the latest edition of the podcast. We're just a week away from the winter meetings. So theoretically, I guess things will start to heat up. You know, I miss the, not that I miss the lockout, but I miss the lockout date, that December 2nd date, because last year we had the Black Friday shopping spree with Marcana and Escobar and Starling Marte. We had the whole Steven Matz Cohen controversy. We were just days away from the Max Scherzer excitement. Everything was kind of barreling towards the lockout. And really, you know, not only are there there not really any rumors, and we'll get to that. I think that's going to be how we kick off the show. But it's basically the old baseball hot stove that drags along, probably will percolate a little bit next week during the winter meetings and then drop off a little bit and then – You'll get some business done after uh, the holidays into the new year, and then the stragglers or those who are trying to get the last seat on musical chairs will try to get their contract before Valentine's Day, but be that as it may, we got a lot to talk about, have a lot of fun here, and unlike the mainstream media, we're going to let you know what's real news and what's speculation, and we're having fun, and... What have you. So that's that's the best part about this show. And that's going to be part of it. We're going to go into the whole, you heard it coming in, the collusion nonsense. I can't believe that a story that was speculation has gotten to the point where there may be, or there actually is, an MLB investigation, to collusion between the Mets and the Yankees. Justin Verlander, Jacob deGrom, we've heard about them. Mets want either or. Let's dream big tonight. I was thinking about it as we go, you know, get into the holiday spirit. You're probably putting some of your holiday lights up, your Christmas tree, whatever it may be. Let's think big, and let's think of a world where maybe the Mets build a super rotation. The more I look at it, Brandon Nimmo is a big deal. And I know there's a lot of rumors about who's interested in him, including the Tampa Bay Rays. Hey, I'm interested in Ashton Martin. Not sure if I go to the dealership they're going to let me actually even look at a car. But I'm interested Because let me tell you, if Nimmo is not part of the 2023 Mets, boy, the options are a big downgrade after that. And the offense, which had its issues at times during the season, is in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to tell you that. There are also other names we could get into. Uh names that are being thrown around, maybe not rumored and maybe not connected to the Mets, but I'm starting to take a look at, well, you know, how do they round out the bullpen, Are there other offensive options. You know, we know the big fish that they're trying to reel back in. We know the DeGroms. We know they they brought back Edwin Diaz. We know they're going after Nemo. But they need to round out a roster, and they don't have a lot of minor league options and talent coming through, although they were able to cobble some more uh, arms with upside this week. However, there's a lot more that needs to be done. So we have a lot to talk about here on the Talking Mets podcast. Let's start out, though, with collusion and this thought that somehow got hatched. And I don't know the genesis of it. And maybe, you know, I think the fans, a lot of people said it started with Andy Martino and an article that he wrote uh, a while back where there was a suggestion. And I think this was right after opening day that. You know, Judge had turned down the Yankees offer. They had to go to spring training. Uh, I'm going to try to go back and find this right now. So if you go over to SMY, the Met, it's not even Mets blog—you know, Yeah. Well, this is back on November 3rd. And, um, you know, basically Martino back on April 8th, the morning of opening day, speculated or he said that there were Mets sources at that time when they were asked. I mean, this think about this. Mets sources, whoever they are, were asked on opening day. Right before you know they're playing the Washington Nationals, or I don't know if it was the home opener, whatever it was, right before they're ready to play the, the opener of the season, they are being asked about Aaron Judge, which is really none of their business. And of course, the Mets said that you know they didn't have they didn't plan to have a fight for Aaron Judge uh, against the Yankees. This has spiraled out of control and led to, and you heard on the Dan Lebitard show, David Samson, who used to be part of the Marlins ownership group. Uh, you have heard now thoughts that the Mets and the Yankees, Steve Cohen and Hal Steinbrenner, this is really morphed, have this cozy relationship. It's not the Cold War that existed when George Steinbrenner was uh, the owner of the Yankees. It's not the Cold War that has been uh, in existence really where, you know, the Yankees didn't really respect the Mets. They certainly didn't always respect the Wilpons and some of the antics that they did. The You know, Jeff Wilpon would constantly do things that would sideswipe the Yankees and really – make the Mets look small at times, even though it was kind of fun because the Yankees have become somewhat of a character of themselves and uh, self-important. And, you know, you guys know the whole deal with the help of the media, of course, because the media has always been kind of a 10th man when it comes to the Yankees, let's say. But anyway, um, that is over. You know, Cohen needed the votes to be voted into the club. Hal was one of those yes votes. Hal needs Cohen to make sure that You know, he doesn't go after his players, and he doesn't have the uh, ability to maybe push the Yankees into an Aaron Judge contract stratosphere that the Yankees don't want to go into. And, you know, this was never real. Like, I never took this seriously. And I've been telling you for a long time that the biggest problem I have with sports media right now and media in general is you have the headline, you have the article. And then you have the very carefully worded journalism legalese, which basically is buried inside the article. And you could you could spot it out. Look, you don't need me to tell you, but I've been pointing it out. And I even had an example for you over on Twitter, and I'm going to try to find that too. But basically it's opinion that has a headline that appears to be news to get you to click, and it's opinion that's wrapped up in the ability to think that you have sourced information when really if there is any sourced information it's expert speculation just like asking a Mets source whoever that could be that could be you know the clubhouse guy and I'm not saying that's what Martino did because I think he actually does a very good job of being clear about sourced reporting he actually is one of the best if not the only one that does that um there's tons of expert expert opinion around there, and you know what the opinions are. Opinions are like, you know, you know what. Uh, you know, so I'll give you an example. Earlier in the offseason, this is a this is what I call opinion dressed up as source news. There's a quote. I believe this is from a Mike Puma article. It was from the New York Post, if I'm not mistaken, but it's from a Mets story. The Mets obviously want a reunion. This is in reference to Evan, Evan Edwin Diaz, by the way. But with the Yankees and Dodgers expected to get involved in the bidding, Diaz's free agency could be among the most intriguing storylines this offseason. Never have there been any sourced information in that quote that the Yankees or the Dodgers were even interested in Diaz. That's total speculation. That could be me calling people up and saying, hey, would the if, you think the Yankees would be interested in Evan Diaz? Well, yeah, I could see that. They, you know, Aroldis Chapman is is on the back hill of that contract. And, the you know, he's not going to be around anymore. You know, they've had Clay Holmes. He's struggling at times. Um, they're going to want to, you know, in the past, they, you know, they went out, they got Andrew Miller. They got Aroldis Chapman. Sure, I could see the Yankees being interested in in uh, in Edwin Diaz. Dodgers have a need for a closer. One of the biggest payrolls in the game. Always willing to spend money. Let's throw them out there. I mean, that's, you know, the Mets get thrown into that now. None of that is real information in that in that quote. None of it is wrong. It's educated speculation. None of it is unethical. It's misleading. And when you put a headline that – and the writers, to be fair to them, they don't even do the headlines. When you put a headline that grabs the reader's attention – and we're in a world of ADD – where people don't really read the article. They read the headline or they read the tweet. And then they make up their own speculation. And people are lazy and they don't click through. And and that's how you got to this point. And you have the point where there's actually an investigation into these two teams. The Yankees now, surprisingly, wink, wink, are requesting DeGrom's medicals. Because, you know, hey, if the Mets aren't going for Judge and they're not going for DeGrom, that kind of fuels the speculation that, They're not touching each other's players. The Players Association hates that stuff because, look, I don't blame them. There's been three examples of collusion in their history where players like Jack Morris and Andre Dawson and Tim Raines, and we could go on and on and on and on, guys that were clearly the best at whatever position they were uh, available at in their respective markets and didn't get an offer. I mean, Andre Dawson was actually recently on the Boom podcast, talked about how in the 80s, here he is, a really solid outfielder, all-star outfielder, Hall of Famer, on the free agent market, couldn't get an offer, and basically had to sell his services at the last minute while spring training's going on to the Cubs for, you know, half a million dollars, which is laughable. He winds up winning the MVP playing for the Cubs in 1987. So you got to go back to what I tell you guys all the time. And the reason I'm starting this is because it really dives into how important knowing and understanding what's real, what the job is all about as a GM, how complicated it is to, in the case of the Mets to rebuild this roster, and how to manage expectations and understand your news versus the fantasy and the fun and what we're going to do on this show, which is basically say, hey, you know, let's build a super rotation. I'm going to do that after the break. We want to build a super rotation. And – there's consequences to bad reporting, and you're seeing that play out right now. And, you know, and John Heyman, who, you know, I have a lot of respect for John, but I think he's taken a part in some of this speculation as well. I've heard him on his show with Joel Sherman on the podcast. You know, they did it too, where Steve Cohen said something along the lines on their podcast that you should be able to win with a $300 million payroll. And right away, Joel and John are saying, Well, on our show, he said he wouldn't go above $300 million. I listened to it. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. It's like me saying you should be able to afford uh, a pretty good house at this price. Mike said he's not going to spend more than that. No. That's what I'd like to spend. That's where I'd like to be. Doesn't mean I am. And it creates this whole narrative. And nobody knows the truth. And it's hard because, you know, I think part of what we see now, especially with the Mets, is teams are not really willing to – at least the Mets, their front office is, is engaged in the gossip anymore. It just gets them in trouble. I'll tell you what, players are not all that interested in it anymore. And I'll give you an example of a really damning quote. Joe Kelly, the reliever for the Dodgers, uh, been with the Red Sox, you guys know him, was really talking about how wasteful the whole recruitment process with Free agency is like, you know, what is Aaron Judge really going to learn by going to meet with the Giants? And the, are you going to give me the best? You know, Everybody kind of knows what everybody else is about. They know the markets. They play in the markets. What's the contract that you want to offer me at this point? Maybe you want to learn a little bit about the culture. Maybe you want to learn a little bit about some things about the organization. But by and large, these teams are all the same. They could all offer you the same thing. It's where you want to play. And what's the best financial situation? Um, but here's a quote from Joe Kelly. And it goes, There's nothing that a team is going to show him, meaning Aaron Judge, that Aaron Judge hasn't seen, Kelly said. So ultimately, it's like, what do you do for family? What are you going to do to give my alone time? Can I talk to the media less here? Uh, Whatever you feel more comfortable, what can you do for me on that aspect? Because money's going to be the same. And if there is a quote that we should take with us throughout the rest of the offseason— and as we watch DeGrom make decisions and Nimo make decisions and the Mets reach out to all sorts of players, whether it be Verlander, a future Hall of Famer, or a component player like an Adam Adovino who could be a really good setup reliever, they're going to be able to, for the most part, to get their money anywhere they go. As long as they play their market correctly and they don't overplay their hand or their agent doesn't overplay their market value. And with sites like Fangraphs and all these smart people that have built these algorithms that can spit out right away how much performance is worth in terms of dollars. I mean, that's basically the the analytic revolution has been a a wonder for a guy like Scott Boris, who could really go into history and look at the value of a brand in Nemo and really nail it to uh, on the head. With all that, it's going to be about comfort. And being in a media environment with this kind of garbage that you see, where the Mets and the Yankees now have an incomplete narrative built that has led to a collusion investigation over speculation from reporters that really did it because, let's face it, they did it to fill column space. This isn't a video game. This isn't a chess game. This has consequences. I've said this time and time again. Words have consequences. They have meaning. Twitter is not like the when the writers were back in the day sitting at the bar talking trash about the players they cover, and nobody would hear it. They acted sometimes, and I've seen it with the media. I saw it with the Mets beat at their worst in like 2018, 2019, 2020. Where they would sit on Twitter like they're in the press box, say all this garbage about the players, and expect never to get back to them. And then when the players would shoot back, we're like, hold on, you can't do that. That's not professional. Well, you are not professional. And building a fake collusion narrative about the Mets and Yankees is not professional. And I don't know where this originated and who this originated with. I'm not going to blame Martino. I'm not going to blame any one person. But I know that this has been perpetuated for a long time, for a while, probably since Cohen took over. And we are at the point where, as fans, as consumers of media, as people who want to do this show, we have to work twice as hard to figure out what is real to talk about, what is fake, because we have to battle the headline people. Those who write the headlines, we have to battle them. Then we got to click through. we got to do reading comprehension, not 101, not 102, like a PhD in reading comprehension to see, I see what you did there, beat writer. I see what you did there, national columnist. You wanted to give legitimacy to your opinion, and you are able to cobble up some kind of source. I'm not saying they're fake, but there's somebody in the business that has some cachet. that could say, yeah, here's what I know about how they do business. Any of you who are in your own walks of life, who are in your own industries know this goes on all the time. But you have to be able to take that information, use it, but understand that it's not gospel. The problem is when you're on Twitter, when you're you know doing the hot stove, when people's jobs are on the line, when narratives are formed that become fuel for an angry media and for an even angrier fan base, uh, this could be dangerous. And now it's led to the consequences of, hey, these teams are being investigated. That tells you that. And, and look, I looked at a couple articles this weekend. This is gaining some steam, this whole let's start to really – I think it was uh, Will Salmon at The Athletic wrote some pieces and was clear that, hey, I'm you know making an educated guess here. I know it sounds ridiculous that you have to do that, but we're in a day and age where reading comprehension is poor, attention of the fan base is poor. People like to look at pictures and watch videos, less about long-form reading and long-form writing. And you have to really do like, you know, talk to them like they're ABC123. Talk to me like it's Sesame Street. That's really what we have. So you know why the Mets aren't going to sign Aaron Judge? Because they already got a $35 million a year shortstop. They already have a $43 million a year older ace. They're probably... Going to and Billy Epler has said it. They prefer to build their team with a strong top rotation. They're going to sign either DeGrom or Verlander to somewhere in the vicinity of forty to forty five million dollar AAV for probably two to three years, and they just quite simply can't afford to throw seven to ten year contract at a guy, albeit one that has proven me wrong that his you know swing and misses and his strikeout rate made him still sustainable hits a ton of home runs, gets on base. He is definitely an elite offensive player. I just don't think the body's going to hold up. He's already had a history of injuries. I don't think the body's going to hold up into north of 30, where he's at 30 now. And I think that's going to be an Albert Pujols ugly-type contract pretty much three, four years into it. I think that's Albert Pujols all over again. And the Mets can't afford to have that when you already have a long-term commitment of 10 years to Lindor and you have some risky pitching contracts that you have. Nothing to do with collusion. Nothing to do with the fact that the player wouldn't look good patrolling center field, right field, wherever. Just not a good fit for where the Mets are. That's it. So that clip you heard going in with Samson on the LeBitard show and all this other you know fancy talk about you know why it's not good for baseball that the Mets don't go after Aaron Judge, it's just not a good fit. I know that's crazy to say that the AL home run champ is not a good fit for the Mets, but he's not based on the contract that's in play and the point in time where this team is at. Brandon Nimmo's a better fit for the New York Mets. That's it. We'll talk more about Brandon Nimmo later in the show because his name came up, and boy, I got a doozy of a clip from WFAN about Brandon Nimmo to to share with you in just a little bit. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, can we dream big? I know, know we've been talking about the Grom a lot, but can we dream big? It's the holiday spirit that's in in season now. Thanksgiving's over, the Christmas lights are up. You know, we're going to be f- buying gifts and feeling good and going to holiday parties and drinking eggnog and celebrating the year and things are kind of back to normal and we're not doing all the crazy stuff we've been doing the last couple of years. Baseball's back to normal. Look, is there any more example of baseball being back to normal than the fact that free agency is a slog? I mean, it's been a while. We actually going to have a winter meetings next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's think big. Can the Mets build a super rotation? Can they do the LeBron, Wade, Chris, Bosch of starting pitchers? Can they build a Hall of Fame rotation and do something historic as they try to break their championship drought? I'll talk about that right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Uffie is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today.
3: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Check. Uh, Yes, so with respect to Justin Verlander, a report from Ken Rosenthal over the weekend indicating that the Mets have inquired and had actually a Zoom conversation with free agent Justin Verlander about his future. Of course, Verlander, 39 years young, the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the American League, has talked about wanting to pitch until he's 45 years old, so it would not surprise anyone if Verlander gets eventually a two- or a three-year deal. A couple notes on this particular fit. Number one, even with the Mets' resources, it would still be quite surprising to see them get both Verlander and DeGrom. Let's acknowledge that, that it's probably an either or situation. Furthermore, I would say that of the large market National League teams, that while the Mets are clearly interested, and I've had this conversation according to Ken's reporting, I think the fit with the Dodgers and Verlander is at least as good and probably even better than the fit with the Mets. Of course, we know Verlander uh, has a home in the Los Angeles area. It makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of how the Dodgers like to structure their contracts with maybe more veteran pitchers and players who are on a a shorter-term, high AAV structure with the Dodgers and Verlander. I like that pairing even more than I like the pairing with the Mets. So I. Sur- All right, we're back. Boy, is pitching
4: going to get expensive. I don't know if you guys saw, but Mike Clevenger, who, you know, let's face it, uh, wasn't really even good enough to get a start in the postseason against the Mets in the three games. Here's a guy that you know was was part of a, you know the top of the Cleveland rotation not too long ago. Had an ERA of you know 500 record, ERA of four three three, ERA plus of 86. You know, perent- potentially some good peripherals or some good bounce back stuff. I know he's been injured. He just got an eight million dollar deal from the White Sox. Pitching's expensive. I know that I was the one that said not to pick up. Carlos Carrasco's option and maybe negotiate that down. But now looking at this kind I mean, this is why they pay Billy Epler the big bucks and I'm sitting behind a microphone, but you know, Mike Clevenger is going to get $8 million. I mean, Carrasco at 14, I guess is, uh, is pretty fair. I still think it's a little bit of an overpay by three, four million bucks. Mets need arms, uh, Mets need veteran arms to give them innings. So we'll see now. Um, there was a great article by Will Sam and he's the Mets beat reporter for the Athletic. And I, you know, again, I'm not stumping for the Athletic. I'm not saying that you have to go out and spend money on a subscription because they've they have their issues. I've had issues with the Athletic, but you know what really pisses me off about the Athletic? Before I get to my point about Degrom and Verlander, is that here I am. I've been a subscriber now for since it opened. Basically, was it but three, four years now? Four or five years? Maybe you know it's probably about five years old. It's been a while. And I get all these offers for like a dollar a month, you know, for Black Friday. And uh, well, you're a current subscriber, so we're not giving you anything. I should cancel and then come back on, right? Well, and anyway, but basically, Will Salmon went and he took ten scouts and executives throughout the game and asked them, "Who would you prefer, Degrom or Verlander?" Now we know the whole deal now, and the way this is all setting itself up. Mets said since the day the season ended. They want to build a rotation with a big one, too. They like that whole idea that they built a year ago. Didn't get to see a lot of it because of injury, but they like the idea of Scherzer Gram. There's been all sorts of it, and this is where I, I can't wait. For, this is why when Gram signs back with the Mets, because I, I believe he will. Not because of anything more than I believe he will, and I believe it's kind of breaking that way. I really would like somebody to ask him, and I don't think he'll answer it. Like, where did this idea that you didn't want to be here come from? Because I'm assuming if he signs, he will speak to the media at some point, maybe via Zoom, but he will speak to the media. However, if he doesn't, I think it's clear that the next, because the Mets have met with him via Zoom, I think the next tier down is Verlander. Now, beg the question for me, though, if you're the Mets, sure, you're meeting with Verlander, you're discussing what you have to offer to Verlander. How do you take that if you're a Do you sat, flat out tell the Mets, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I am interested in New York, whatever. Maybe that was the getting to know each other Zoom. And do you, if you're a do you tell the Mets, well, look, if, am I am I number two to DeGrom? Are you just basically going to call me when the DeGrom turns you down? Because that's, that's kind of awkward. And I'm sure that, you know, look, it's business. I mean, DeGrom and... And Verlander, no. I mean, if they're going to go out and talk to other teams, if DeGrom's going to go out and talk to other teams, Mets have a right to set themselves up for plan B. I'll beat a really good plan B, and arguably a plan B. I'll say the big thing about Verlander is he's pitched the postseason. He's won big games in the postseason. He's a Hall of Famer. He very well, if he pitches till he's 45, and he can pitch and stay somewhat healthy, even if he's not elite. Um. You know he, he might win three hundred games. He's got two hundred and forty four wins. He needs fifty six more wins. Pitch another five years, wins ten games a year. There's your three hundred wins. You know they've said they may not be another three hundred game winner, uh, but uh, you know Verlander has a shot at that. I don't think it's a, a high percentage shot. I think it's going to be still hard. I mean to pitch three forty five. I know Jamie Moyer did it. Different type of pitcher, but a rebuilt arm. Anything can happen. So my point is, you're talking to Verlander on Zoom. You know you've made it clear you're interested in Degrom. Why not both? And I think this is a wild idea. I don't know how much rooted in reality it is. It's an expensive idea, and I've told you guys I've done the math. The Mets have, if they want to stay, about three hundred million dollars. They have about a hundred million dollars to spend, and they got to get bullpen help. Adam Aravino's name came up in the media uh, this this weekend where the Mets want to bring him back. They need Nimo, and if they can't get Nimmo, they need some kind of offensive equivalent out there, you know, preferably in center field. And, you know, they could probably get away with some of the young players providing depth on the offensive side, like Beth Beatty did, Vientos did at points of the season. And you're pretty much set with the rest of your offensive roster after Nimmo. So it's not crazy to say the Mets would use a bulk of their budget on – DeGrom and Verlander. And then I think, well, you have a couple more years of Scherzer. I think there's an opt-out after the second year. And I think that's important to know because this is where this idea that the Mets aren't going to go all in. If you're Scherzer. You know, you're basically probably, and he said this on with, with Sherman and Heyman, he's told the front office his thoughts. It's their job. He was clear. It's their job to build a team. But he's told them his thoughts on what he'd like to see. And look, if he's not happy, probably going to opt out of this thing after this year. He's not going to stick around while they mess around so how crazy is it to go out there and align the two years which is the scherzer one year plus the option year with two-year deals at big money for both de and verlander maybe get an option if Degrom wants the extra year maybe verlander wants to see how things go and do one year an option but do something like 50 million dollars aav for each spend 100 million dollars just on those two guys, have a Hall of Fame rotation. I mean, here's a guy, Verlander, that the last two years where he pitched full years, which is 2019, Houston lost to the Nats in the World Series, and 2022, he's 39-10. and 10. I mean, say what you want about DeGrom, and, and I look at the article by Will Salmon. Most of the scouts and execs feel that DeGrom is the better pitcher, has the better stuff when he pitches, But Verlander wins. And I know that that's an antiquated way of looking at things. But Verlander strikes out a ton of batters. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He knows how to pitch. Now, he's pitched in Detroit and Houston, so he hasn't pitched in a big market. But he's got a a pretty famous wife. I don't think the spotlight is a big deal for him. And similar to Scherzer coming over here. Because let's face it, before the Dodgers... Scherzer pitched to Detroit, he pitched to Arizona, he pitched to Washington. Not big markets. These guys could come here and really feed off of each other. Could you think about a crazier – if you want to talk about Cohen being George Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner-esque mercenary rotation that you could build by bringing those two guys in. You have your homegrown guy that if he comes back and you could get any kind of long-term commitment – of three, four years, I very well think his if he pitches at the rate he is now, his number is going to be retired. And I think that's part of, I would say, the cachet of coming back to the Mets. Verlander has a World Series. So, you know, he came in 2017, won a World Series, he's got a couple of World Series. So at this point, he's just about world, world Series. I mean, he's got two. Why not more? Scherzer wants another. DeGrom wants his first. I mean, you put those three guys together. The level—I mean, that's a whole three guys, two guys that are Hall of Famers. Even if they stop playing now, they're Hall of Famers, and one guy that very well could be. I mean, he's over hundred games, over five hundred Verlander. I mean, we we talk about Degrom, but even if they don't sign Degrom and they and they land at Verlander, and we don't know how serious Verlander is about New York, it's a risk. I mean, that ain't exactly Chop Liver Constellation Prize. It's disappointing. DeGrom's been with the Mets for a while. You know, he grew up with the team. He was this shortstop that they drafted out of No Man's Land with an 11th round pick or whatever it may be. So you don't want to see those guys leave, but you land Verlander. That's not chopped liver. And the more you look at Verlander's stats, the more you just see all this bold face numbers on his Baseball Reference page, and it's wins. It's not advanced metrics, it's not OP, you know, ERA+, it's not War, it's wins. And look, if he didn't miss, if he didn't have the dopey pandemic season and he was going to be out with Tommy John surgery anyway, and he might have blown his arm out earlier if the season had started normal time. So the pandemic probably cost him, you know, a, a few starts in 2021. So he missed two seasons, pitched one game in that dopey uh, pandemic season, missed all of 2021 because of the Tommy John. Now he's back, wins, you know, 18 ball games. I mean, basically hadn't pitched since 2019. He wins 18 ball games. Looks every bit the dominant ace that you could ask for. Had a bad World Series start, but rebounded. Pitched well in the postseason. I got to tell you, now if it sac and this is where I'll get to after the break. If it sacrifices Nimmo, I'm not into the super rotation. But you got to admit that's enticing. I mean, what? more of an all-chips-to-the-center-of-the-table type of move for this win-now Mets team with Buck as the manager, with a farm system that has no ability to produce very much on the pitching side. With a farm system that actually has, if you look at Beatty, Vientos, um, Alvarez, and now you got Mauricio Winterball tearing up playing third base too. He can play shortstop. I mean, you have four... Depending on how you look at Mauricio, you have four young, potentially high, highly productive offensive players that you could count on. You really don't need to do more. I mean, I think Steve Cohen has said this. Forget about what he said to Sherman and, and Heyman about the $300 million you should win with $300 million payroll. If you're going to be at the Cohen tax, why just go a little above it? Blow through it. He said that. That ain't my words. That's his. And what better way to do that than to sign both these guys? And I'm not saying that that's realistic, and I think it's a very – I'm not saying it's a 0% chance, maybe 10%. But why would you have the Zoom with Verlander unless, A, you knew DeGrom was likely to leave? And, B, on that Zoom, wouldn't you have the conversation with him and say, hey, you're our number one or our number you – know, uh, you're our number two priority after DeGrom? And would he be okay with that? And would you have the Zoom – if you weren't serious, I mean, you got to think of some of those things. Like, think about how a Hall of Famer, these guys all believe they're great. You think Verlander wants to uh, give anything to DeGrom regardless? He's like, hey, I've won 244 ballgames in my career. I've won Cy Young Awards. I've played in the World Series and pitched big games. He hasn't done all that stuff. He doesn't win a lot of games. He doesn't even pitch a lot. I was out two years, but the last two years that I pitched, I won 39 ball games. He hasn't. And what's funny is you look at Will Salmon's um, feedback from industry sources about DeGrom or Verlander. Most say DeGrom like in the better pitcher. But the gut feeling is that Verlander's more likely to be on the field and win more ball games, which is crazy. Look, since 2018, the number one pitcher on Fangraphs in War is Jacob DeGrom. The number two pitcher is Scherzer. Number six is Verlander. By the way, if he didn't miss two seasons, he probably would be number two or three. Actually, he might be ahead of all of them. With a couple of good years, he might be better than the Gromachor. He might be the best out of all of them. You very well could have the number one, the number two, the number three best pitchers in the sport over a five-year period. And if you had kept Zach, he really had four. But I might get myself in trouble with that. So we dare to dream a super rotation. Is it likely? Probably not. Is it zero percent? No, I wouldn't put that. Is Verlander and the Mets real? I got to think they wouldn't meet with him. I mean, could there be a cursory meeting and say, hey, let's just see if there's interest and nothing was there? Maybe. But look, all I can say is this. Max Scherzer has said he has gone public and said he went into the Zoom meeting not wanting to do anything with the Mets, not interested in New York. And he walked away as a member of the Mets about 72 hours later or so. Tells you a lot about Steve Cohen, tells you a lot about the Mets, tells you a lot about, tells you a lot about what you can, what this team could get done, what this ownership group and this management team could get done. It's exciting. Anyway, let's take a quick break. I just said I wouldn't do it at the expense of Nimmo. So you'd have to blow past the Cohen tax, you have to blow past the $300 million payroll. Because the more I look at this, and you guys know I've been touting Brandon Nimmo for a while, if the Mets don't sign Brandon Nimmo, even with the super rotation that we just talked about. Man, their offense is in a lot of trouble. I'll talk about that and more right after this.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: I mean, I've always thought it was a pretty distinct possibility because he's a good player. And I think he's going to have teams vying, certainly multiple teams vying for his services. Um, Not only that, but I think a few, although I think Seattle's probably off the table now, but Colorado, he's from Wyoming. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know the story. Wait, is it Wyoming or Dakotas? Either way, he's from out there. I think it's Wyoming. But I just saw this. So apparently Jeff Passan, this is an interesting quote, and this was in the last couple hours. So Jeff Passan said the, quote, the Shinsu Chu deal, many of you remember Shinsu, good player, which was six years at $130 million uh, is the place that I've landed after talking to people about Nimbo, and it wouldn't surprise me if it goes higher than that. I mean, I like Brandon Nimmo; He ain't worth that money. Mm-mm. He's just not worth that money. Yeah, that's a big number. That's crazy. Now, I remember when this first came up, I remember when I said, initially I said $100 million, and people thought I was nuts. And I thought I was kind of pushing it. Yeah, a little bit. I, I really did. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that Passen's absolutely right, but he's connected. If he's getting general parameters, I don't know, Hoff, if the Mets sign Nimmo for six years,
3: 140, you don't think that that's exorbitant? Uh, I think he's uh, – unfor- uh, we had this conversation the other day. I think he brings something to the table that doesn't show all the stats. I, I do, and I think that's why his price tag is going to go up.
0: Yeah, I, I get that, but you know, now as you get to that 120, 30, 40 – now you, got, you have to quantify stuff. Like It's one thing if a guy's making 8, 9, 12, he's got energy, it's got this intangible – Again, good player, not special, awful arm. (laughs) I mean, the other thing that I saw about Nimmo, and I really like Nimmo. He's a baller. He's a grinder. He's a big part of your identity. I'm a fan. The other thing I thought was interesting, which is why I think his market's going to be robust, more so than I thought. I guess apparently he talked to a few teams, and they've already assured him, like, hey, whomever we have in center field right now, we're going to move them to the corner to Mm -hmm. accommodate you in center. So it looks like teams are going to move mountains to get this guy.
4: Back, Jeez. I really like BT Brooklyn guy, Marine Park, CHSAA ball player. You know, was very good to me when he was out in San Francisco. I did uh, some a uh, 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 one-on-one interview with him. Has actually been on my podcasts when I I did the old you know ESPN show. So I, I have nothing against him. Great story. Started out doing you know Nick pregame and halftime shows in the lobby at MSG, but. You can't go on, talk about Brandon Nimmo the way you just heard that clip from WFAN. And then whoever that was, his producer, whoever that is, because it looks like Tiki Barber was not in the studio that day, talks about, well, his his real value for Brandon Nimmo is not in the stats. Well, I agree, you know, the hustle, the attitude, the character, the work ethic that's taken a lot of his deficiencies and turned them into strengths, 100% right. But his value is everything in the numbers. Analytics is what makes a pretty vanilla, very good-looking ball player that a lot of people over the years, big names in media, and a lot of you have written to me, have said he's not – he's a fourth outfielder. And I'm like, are you watching this? I mean the only knock – and I agree with BT. The arm isn't great. The only other knock I could really put on Brandon Nemo is he's got this herniated disc, and he alluded to the fact that he doesn't steal bases to keep himself healthy – I do worry about the health, and he gets hit by pitches a lot. So that's always inherently a health risk. But you can say that about Pete. You can say that about McNeil. You can say that about Marte. Happened to Marte. But the herniated disc from a couple of years ago, that that doesn't really go away. Take it from someone that knows people with that stuff. That doesn't go away. That has to be managed. And sometimes Western medicine doesn't always manage it the right way. Let's put it that way. That's all I'll say. Uh, And just because they have great hospitals and great trainers and they're the New York Mets I've seen, as we know – Ryan Church, airplane concussion. Don't give them too much credit for always doing the right thing medically by these guys. But that's really the only knock. Here's the deal. The Mets really don't have a choice right now, um, whether it's the Giants, the Blue Jays. And why would he want to go to Canada? I mean, there's a guy that, by all accounts, everybody thought he wouldn't even be able to play in Canada because of the old vaccination status. He wants to go there, pay the taxes, and be a pariah because of his values. You know, that's a whole nother story. I'll, I'll stay at it out. I'm going to get myself in trouble. But anyway, look, money talks. We know that. Everybody speaks the same language of money. You know that. Um, you know, I don't know the, you know, the Cubs, whatever, you know, Rockies. Everyone's, that's speculation. Guys from around that part of the country grew up a Rockies fan. Always hits well in Colorado. Definitely would do well for his overall offensive numbers. But I've never seen, well, are the Rockies even contending? Like, why would they sign him to a contract? Like, where, where are the Rockies going that, other than that speculative fit, that makes sense. But my point here, that's not the point to get on a soapbox here about Brandon Nimmo. You guys know the deal. The The contract that is being bandied about, and Sinchu Chu, who I never even thought about, who, when I went to the numbers, is pretty much like uh, Brandon Nimmo, uh, the seven-year, $130 million contract. He was a top-five outfielder entering free agency. He had the same type of numbers, run creation numbers, war I mean, Nimmo is top 25 in 2022 in all of baseball and run creation. He's number 28 since 2018. He's number 28 in war since 2018. He's hanging around Bryce Hopper in that territory. He's a top 10 outfielder. Seven years at $175 million is his value. He's a $25 million a year player. If George Springer was going to get that, and before he got hurt, Michael Conforto was going to get that, Nimmo's going to get that. He may not hit 35 home runs. And you may not like the all-shucks deal. And you may not like his politics. And you may not like his religious beliefs. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. He gets on base and he's a run creator. He's going to get paid. And I'll tell you what. I got out my little baseball musings calculator that said the Mets should average 5.2, 5.3 runs per game. Which was wrong. They are about a half a run less. And I'll tell you what. You take Nimmo in the lineup. With the current lineup. The Mets are averaging between 4.8 and 5.3. Low to high. In terms of runs. That makes sense. The Mets average about. At the end of the year. With that lineup. They were at about 4.8 runs per game. Maybe 5 is the competition. Depending on what level of competition they were playing. Without Nemo, And you put in. Let's say. Oh. Cody Bellinger. And I'll give you Cody Bellinger. Because we'll get to him in a minute. Cody Bellinger from. The pandemic shortened season. The Cody Bellinger that began to regress, who wasn't completely anemic. Uh, you go down to between four and a half and five runs away, Five, four and a half and five runs a game. And I'll tell you what, Nimmo would out in, in a lineup, and even if you replace him with maybe a Conforto on a short deal or a, a Michael Brantley on a short deal, both have co- coming off shoulder issues, which could impact as much their offense than their defense. Um. There's a downgrade in that lineup. And I think the Mets, who fancy Nimmo is almost like maybe their future team captain. I think the attitude, the work ethic, all the things that I think, provided that they their doctors feel good about the health issues that exist, I only think he's going to get better. I know he's an older player, but here's a guy that worked out to become a faster runner so that he can play a better outfield and play an elite position in the outfield. I never thought he would be a competent center fielder. Never. And he turned himself into, I don't want to say a gold glover, but a really good center fielder. Good base runner, not a good base stealer. I think that's the next component of the game that he needs to work on. Let's see what the new rules, with the pickoff rules and everything, does that come into play? But I hear a lot of people say, well, if the Mets don't sign Nemo, no big deal. They could go out and get Michael Brantley and they could go out and get Conforto. That's true. I guess you're looking at a center fielder like Mark Cannon, and maybe you get some kind of defensive caddy. I'm I mean, assuming that Jake Mangum, who's in their their farm system, who probably a lot of people think will get, he wasn't put on the 40 man, which tells you what they think about him, who might get drafted in the Rule 5 draft. You know, that was a kind of an in house version. You go out and you get yourself some kind of defensive caddy for center field with Cannon out there. Um, You know, the offense is not the same. I think Brantley's an interesting option because he's a contact hitter. But his, his overall hard hit numbers have gone down a lot, even before he got hurt this year. His power has basically disappeared. He hasn't hit for power for a couple of years. Conforto, who the heck knows? He didn't have a good 2021. Who knows if that's part of the shoulder issue he had or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of mystery to Conforto. We have no idea. It's almost like he just disappeared. It's interesting. um. You know, you have no choice. You have to sign Nimmo. If Nimmo does not sign with his team, and I think that is the offense at this point. Forget about Jose Abreu. Forget about going out and looking at you know anybody else. It's kind of Nimmo a bust because I think you have to reformulate the offense if Nimo is not part of it. I mean – I never thought Sin Chun Chu was so good. And and look at the numbers. It's amazing. Now, that contract didn't age well in Texas. He declined after the contract. I don't know the story about why. And look, if Nimmo does get hurt and can't stay on the field, which there's been instances of that in the past couple of years, not so much in 2022, that could be a very expensive sunk cost. So there is risk here. But I think you kind of know the guy. And I think that's the beauty of having a competent, old-school manager in Buck Showalter who really can provide context to the front office of what he sees with these guys. And he's been around so long, so it's not the first group of guys that you know he could say, hey, here's how I could see this guy aging, and here's how I think this guy will handle the money. I mean that's the beauty of having a Buck Showalter around. So um, Cody Bellinger. Uh, I don't understand the fascination with Cody Bellinger. Now, to be fair, there are a lot of people that believe – the shift will help Cody Bellinger. He lost something like 20 hits to the shift. Uh, or has 20 less hits on the ground. Now, whether those are all because of the shift, and it's debatable. What we know is that he's got a, a, a bigger launch since the shift the last couple of years. As a matter of fact, as I was reading the different sourcing over the internet, I didn't realize how much the shift has increased the last two or three years. I mean, I physically saw it with my eyes. But I, I it's almost like I felt it was always there. It was just more I was noticing it. I felt it was like there for like ten years. I was just noticing it more. I always remember I went to a Met game in 2018. Late in the season, Mets were out of it. I think it was twenty eight, it's probably twenty eighteen, against the Phillies. And I was looking at some of the defensive alignments, and that was the the Phillies with um, Gabe Kapler. Might have been Gabe Kapler's first year. So Gabe Kapler was doing all sorts of crazy things. And I was looking at the shift, and I'm like, wow, I don't recognize this game. Like, this is not the game that I grew up watching. I remember saying that. Now, like anything else, Mets start using it, becomes part of everyday life of all these teams. You get used to it. But it's had a very negative effect on guys like Joey Gallo, who reportedly lost 29 hits a couple of years ago to the shift. I mean, think about that. Uh, Anthony Rizzo would have been a more of a league average hitter on uh, batting average or more of the league average on batting average if, if his – if they weren't able to shift in the hits that he lost, um, were able to sneak through. Guys like Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, good news for the Phillies, bad news for the Mets of the division, will greatly benefit from not having a shift. So if Cody Bellinger, and I believe you gave Cody Bellinger 20 hits on last year's um average, he's probably hitting about 240, 250 instead of 210, 215. You know, look, you could almost look at it. It's almost an extra hit a week. Well, there's six months of the season, 24 weeks. You know, 20 extra hits. It's almost a hit a week. Now, does that mean he's more productive? Here's a guy that hasn't hit at home, hasn't hit on the road, strikes out a ton, doesn't walk anymore, still has power, but still a good outfielder. I mean, great arm. Upgrade defensively from Nemo, and look, you may have to take the lottery ticket chance on Bellinger and add a more stable bat. I mean, you can't make it. That would be what the Mets under the Wilpons would do with cash flow issues. They'd, they'd, they couldn't sign Nemo, so they'd go for Bellinger and hope for the best. What you could do is you could get a Bellinger on a one-year deal, incentive-laden, but you're going to have to go out and maybe get a Michael Brantley or beef up your DH with a Jose Abreu. You're going to have to do some of the things. Even, and, and this is assuming that you know, the super rotation is still there. You, know, you do the super rotation without Nemo, I mean, you can't, you can't win zero to negative one. You're going to see a lot of, and those guys are not going to go eight nine innings. So you're going to be leaving a lot of these games up to the bullpen, and you know Verlander very well could have the same issues that Degrom is out of here, and then you all be pulling our hair out saying you have this historic rotation, three Cy Youngs, three Hall of Famers, can't score any runs for them. I know that that sounds like crazy, but it's not. And you know, I just don't know if Bellinger, after what I've seen. And the regression. I know he's had, you know, issues with his legs and you know, all sorts of stuff going on. You know, the shoulder issue by bumping somebody in a postseason game, really stupid. I you mean, know, I that's called a stupid one on one. Imagine if that happened to the Mets. Like I you know, that's not really talked about because of the Dodgers so they won the championship. The fake championship, but the championship. I mean, that's crazy. You separate your shoulder, you know, bumping one of your teammates. I just I don't get it. So um you know, look. I mean, the only other saving grace with all this is that, like I said, you have these kids like Vientos, Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio, um, and maybe they could complement a little bit. But you don't have Nemo. It's you. You kind of rip out the heart of your offense, kind of like a like an en- engine, similar to I think how Jose Reyes was for the 06 Mets. You know, you take a Reyes out, that Energizer Bunny. And you know, Nimo's a different type of energizer, but he just working counts and getting on base and, and all the things. And it just, he's a good representative of the uniform. Old school good representative of the uniform. So um, I'm not all that crazy about Cody Bellinger. You know, taking a flyer on him, if Nimo's in the fold, if it's very incentivating, I don't see that. Like he's gonna go to a place where he can rebuild his value, where he's gonna play every day. He's not gonna go to win a championship. I see Cody Bellinger going to a place where he can play center field, he can. Maybe not be, I mean, who knows if New York's even the right place for a guy rebuilding his value. Personally, probably not. I know his father played here for the Yankees. It's probably not. At all. Because he's going to be thrown into this cooker. You might want to go to obscurity rebuild yourself and then put yourself back out in the market and then take the money and then see what happens. So, listen, I know I, know I sound like a broken record. You guys know the value of Nemo. Look up the run creation numbers. Look at the war. It's right there with Bryce Harper. He might not hit 35 home runs, but he gets a run is a run is a run, whether it's a trot around the bases or other ways to get it brought in. A run is a run. Let's remember that. And uh, there's a big downgrade, and Cody Bellinger is not. You're not getting MVP Bellinger. And if that guy is going to come back, I don't think it's going to come back rebounding in New York. That's my feeling on that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some names being bandied about, bullpen names, lesser-known names, and some of my thoughts about what are some of the and, – and we know there's a budget, so we're kind of like not sure how deep the Mets can go. But what are some other names that I've seen pop up that are interesting to me as the offseason develops? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more. Right after this. Doc Gooden had many classic outings as a member of the Mets. What was his best? We asked the man himself when he joined me on the Talking Mets podcast.
6: I think it was 85. I was in L.A. Um, I think the score was 2 nothing or 3 nothing, And Gary Carter was catching me. I didn't throw a breaking ball into the seventh inning. And I remember the ninth inning, they got a couple guys. It might have been a base load. They got on or a couple guys got on base. And they had three lefties coming up. I think I struck two of them out. And then I think Terry Whitfield popped up in the game. I thought that was my best game. You know, looking back at it, it just top of my head.
4: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com Alright, we're back. So, here's one name that's been interesting, and it's kind of a name that keeps getting bandied about. It was in a sourced rumor from middle season and it would be a dynamic pairing. I mean, it would be such a great marketing thing, such a great story and really dynamic. It would almost be like having your closer and your future closer or your closer that could, you know, back up your closer. And I'm not talking about bringing back Adam Adovino, although I do support that. And I'll tell you what, if the rumor is true that the Mets only want him on a one year deal, I see Adovino getting two years, 16 million, maybe two years, 20 million. I don't see three years at his age, but he easily gets a second year. And uh, unless the Mets want to go heavy on a one-year deal with a little bit more money, he's gone. If they're trying to use the whole year from New York as the stay on a one-year deal, I I just, at his age, you got to take the extra year. I don't know what his priorities are. A lot of players want the the years and the security. Um, Be interesting where that goes. But the name that keeps coming up, and I've been doing some research on him, and I, I don't understand why he's actually on the block. So this is a trade: is Edwin Diaz's brother Alexis Diaz. So I read this this summary. This is from a, a Reds website, and they basically question Diaz's. I mean, Diaz everything about him. You know, his soft contact, his strikeout rate, his walk rates a little high. Kind of like how Edwin was earlier in his career, over four per game. It would be interesting to see how that develops with coming into the Hefner Pitching Lab. And the only knock that on a Reds website they really have is that the batting average of balls in play was overly low at two twenty-one and that uh, you know maybe with some luck that'll go up. I mean, the thing about the Diaz brothers, if you're anything like his brother, basically the only way that he gets B-A-B-I-P to death is when they just hit it where they ain't. Like they stick their bat out and it's a little dunker or chopper. I mean, it still happens to Diaz. It doesn't happen as much because they're not hitting the slider. But I, I think it's amazing to me that here's a guy, you know, had some troubles in the minor leagues. Probably, if I had to take a guess, you know, he he, he looks a lot. It looks like his brother. I don't think his motion is quite like his brother, but you know, he's a he's he's kind of like how Edwin Diaz used to be. Four seam fastball, out pitches his slider and if they could get him to do the 50-50 repertoire that Edwin kind of built up i mean man now why would the reds trade him now the only thing i could think of is the reds aren't planning on competing in the next 2 years before he hits arbitration and they could get themselves a prospect now i think he cost you a top 10 to 20 not a top 20 prospect a top 10 prospect so you know if you're the mets a do you believe enough in his stuff that this could be the dominant setup guy could basically be Edwin Diaz part two. You have a Diaz in the eighth, a Diaz in the ninth with the same dominant stuff. Now, clearly, Alexis is not where Edwin is. But, you know, you want to get him there. And with a similar type of repertoire, you probably can. You just maybe need to work on... I'm assuming that he has the same, if his delivery is the same, and I sort once, doesn't look completely the same. He probably has the same command issues that Edwin had. Maybe you could work a little bit about what they did with Edwin, Maybe mix up the utilization of the pitches. But do you give up a Matt Allen or a Dominic Hamill, a pitching prospect, a Blade Tidwell? You know, Would they want a Ronnie Mauricio? They want, do they want maybe someone a little further away, like a, a Joel Diaz or a Simon Juan? A Simone Juan? Is it Simon Juan? Someone with a lot of skills, but you know, years away, depending on their timeline to compete. Uh, you know, here's the other thing. Do they really want to give Diaz to the Mets because his brother is there? When you could probably pitch him for the next couple of years and get it, and if he is as good as his numbers indicate, and he becomes an elite closer like his brother, you probably could get a much larger package. Maybe not Jared Kelnick, but you know what I'm talking about. So I find it interesting that his name keeps popping up. Mets tried to get him at the the deadline. They couldn't. Um, not sure what would change now. But that's something to look, uh, look forward to, and that would be a great story. I don't think you do a Timmy Trumpets in the 8th and a Timmy Trumpets in the ninth, but maybe you get some kind of – I mean, there's the possibilities. And think about having his brother there, the connection. My, it, I'm sure from Alexis's standpoint, he would love it, right? So that's interesting. Uh, as far as some other names out there for the bullpen, Carlos Estevez from the Rockies, fastball slider guy, had a really good second half. You know, might be, you know, a guy who, could, who seems to stay on the field. Not sure he's evolved to the pitcher with the 1.4 ERA in the second half, but he certainly could be better than Lugo or possibly more upside than Lugo. Sounds like Lugo's not even an option. And quite honestly, I've always been a big Lugo fan. And what he did in 2019, he was elite. Now, his drop-off, is it because of the miles on his arm? Is it because of the sticky stuff that he doesn't get the same spin rate that he did? We don't know. But he's been a, a solid reliever, but a guy that, quite honestly, is very replaceable. So I'm not too you know, upset about them not talking to Lugo. And exactly like I told you at, at times during the season, Lugo, if I'm Lugo, I'm more apt to go into a situation where I could win a spot in the rotation, land in the bullpen, because I already know I could do that. But the, the pathway to the back half of my career to some really good money is a back-end-of-the-rotation starter. And at some point, I mean, you know, he came up. We talk about Gazelman. He was the better of the two that year. Lugo was just as integral when they lost Harvey. They lost DeGrom. The Mets don't make the playoffs without Lugo and Gazelman coming in and and doing their best DeGrom and Harvey impression. Not the same level of elite, but but very solid uh, pitching performances they provided. So um, Matt Moore, lefty, failed starter, had a big year in, what, Texas? Lefty at the bullpen. Actually gets righties out better. Here's a guy that, according to Fangraphs, is worth 10 million a year. Actually, worth more than um, Aravino. So there's a guy that somehow I saw him get like kind of linked to the Mets. But you know, ultimately, when I look at all these you know scrap heap guys that the Mets have picked up, uh, you know, with the, the the arms of the bullpen, you know, I still think you're going to need to go out there and figure out one or two veteran moves. And they're not going to now that they spend big on the closer, they're not going to want to do that for a setup guy. Uh if you're going to go big, you're going to do the super rotation idea. But you know, I think Adavino showed. I mean, he was top 10 reliever last year. Um got his walk rate right down. I mean, it's funny about Adavino. He walked like eight batters. The first two months of the season. He had normal-ish high level walk rates. And then he walked eight batters the rest of the season. Now he regressed in the postseason series. He had that awful outing against the Padres in game two, where it got a little scary there. They had to bring Lugo in to finish it up. And uh w- it was because of walks. So you always wonder, does he get that itis back? Because even with the Yankees, when the Yankees signed to a contract, a big contract to be there, setup guy Rollis Chapman, his walk rate was four or five. Per nine. Way too high. And now with the the new rules, the pickoff, you know, I'm one of the fans of the show pointed out, he gets on base. A player gets on base, they're taking off on him. They're gonna steal liberally with him. So it's a double. Now when you miss a lot of bats, and I think part of that was that he changed his repertoire a little bit. And if you look at it, uh, you know, less fastball, more change up, you know, he still does slider sinker. You know, to help keep the home runs, uh, uh, you know, the balls in the ballpark. But, um, you know, they they mixed up his repertoire a little bit. Mets seem to be pretty good. You saw it with Loop. You saw it with Adavino. You know, Even a Tommy Hunter, a scrap heap guy, came in and pitched pretty well. The Mets know how to get these guys to pitch and get the most out of there, whatever the best version of themselves can be. So you have that. But I really am curious about them investigating this Alexis Diaz thing with Cincinnati. And I am not opposed, you know, knowing that they have all this control. They have his brother locked up now on a big contract. He's going to be relatively affordable for the next next couple of years. And even after that, arbitration, you know, as a setup guy, you know, you could have yourself six outs of your bullpen clean for the foreseeable future and a guy who could— Be a backup closer. Close in Cincinnati. I know it's Cincinnati. And I think it's worth giving up one of your top 20 prospects. I really do. Now, would Cincinnati want that? I don't see... See, the scenario I don't see is why Cincinnati would do it when you could just pitch him, close him, and increase his value unless they feel that he's a ticking time bomb because he didn't have, you know... He had some spotty minor league numbers. He's not a a finished product. So they may not you know, they may not um, you know, they may not believe in him. Now, Eric Jagers, who was in that organization, knows him better than anybody. You know, you have the right guy there to give you feedback and say, hey, this is what's, you know, you don't want to bring him in because he's Diaz's brother. You don't want to be there, you don't want to do it for Edwin. You want to do it because it's nice that he's Edwin's brother. But, you know, you uh you want to do it because there's some potential really big upside there. But so those are some names that popped up recently. Tommy kaneley has got a lot of interest. I said there's like 10, 11 teams. There's a guy the Dodgers had on the scrap heap. I mean, the Mets are going to have to go through this list. And whether it be, you know, an Archie Bradley or Will Harris, um, you know, know, Chris Martin, who was out in L.A., like they're going to probably have to bring in a veteran on a reasonable deal Mm -hmm. to round out that bullpen. Because the guys they signed, all these guys on minor league deals and the Stephen Ridings and the guys, I mean, these guys are not – meant to be relied on these are the shuttle guys these are lottery tickets you know you have Drew Smith you have Edwin Diaz I mean could you imagine you got Alexis Diaz you got Edwin Diaz you got Drew Smith maybe you bring back an Adavino at that point and somehow you know you got this lefty Saucedo or you figure out the lefty situation I mean personally with the three battle rule if you have a righty you know maybe a Matt Moore I mean I know I'm spending a lot of Steve Cohen's money I'm spending a lot of Steve Cohen's money tonight I'm spending on a super rotation. I'm bringing back Nimo on seven years and 175. I'm bringing in pulpit arms. I'm I'm not spending Ben Stein's money. I'm spending Steve Cohen's money. It's interesting. So, all right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Anyone who listens to me on the Talking Mets podcast knows I am not for tanking. Teams should always try to maximize wins to give the fans hope and something to cheer about. Don't believe me? Listen to what former Met Justin Turner told New York Post beat reporter Mike Puma, who joined us on the program to talk about his book, If These Walls Could Talk. We talk about tanking and competing a lot uh, in today's game. Justin Turner talked about to you those purgatory Mets teams, 11, 12, where they weren't competing. We know the payroll situation. We know they had shortcomings. But he specifically talked about how, if you look back, mid-season. They weren't in a horrible position to make a run, maybe at a wild card, but the team was so overt about them, not wanting to compete, not going out, not even talking about getting big name players. I'm talking about fringy uh, component players to get better and how it impacted them in the back half of those seasons. Now you covered those teams. Make sure we think about how players and the human component and how, you know, that had an impact negatively on the team. And and maybe things could have been a little bit different, not saying they won a championship, but, Think about the opportunities lost for those players in the organization with just some little effort that could have been made.
6: Yeah, and, and Turner talks about that, uh, how frustrating it was, uh, namely that 2012 season because they got to the all-star break. Uh, they were hanging around in the division. They were only a few games, maybe three, four games out of first place. And, and uh, you know, as, as Turner put it, they had the, the worst bullpen in the league or one of the worst bullpens. And maybe if they go out and, and, and trade for a couple of relievers, uh they're able to to compete the rest of the way and, and they were basically told nope uh you know th- this is the team we've got this is uh, the team we're going to keep running out there and they come out of the all-star break and go one in ten and you know they're effectively dead at that point and uh you know he, as Turner puts it at that point they were kind of waiting for uh you know Matt Harvey to get there and they were waiting for Zach Wheeler to get there they were just kind of an uh Uh, holding pattern waiting for some of the uh the bigger guns but uh you know that for for players on those teams that that was a little bit frustrating
4: listen to this and more at com. all right we're back final thoughts Thanks for listening to the Talking Men's podcast. So the Winter Meetings is in about a week, and that's when this podcast gets a little silly. And it's good. We haven't had a Winter Meetings podcast in a few years. I mean, it's been pandemic, meetings are canceled, lockout, you know, kind of a different type of free agency. I know a lot of people thought that the meetings were an antiquated idea. I mean, the Winter Meetings are really for the industry and for those that want to make the the, the, the trek to find jobs and to network. I mean, that's what it is. And and you can't do that on Zoom. And I think we had this vision that we could just sit in our offices and do everything and be anywhere. And and certainly there's a great value. I mean, look, I use Zoom to conduct a lot of business for this show. It's a great tool. But I think the winter meetings are important. Not that you need to sign Jacob deGrom and get into a room and hammer it out. I mean, you could do that over the phone. But I think there's a lot of networking. There's a lot of things you could learn about teams uh, and you'd be surprised, you know, what what could come out of it. I mean, players sometimes go to winter meetings looking for jobs and, you know, pitching their wares, so to speak. So um, so what is that going to mean? So the winter meetings start there on the West Coast. I believe they're in San Diego. So that means a three-hour time difference, which means there's going to be stuff happening in the wee hours of the morning. So this is one of the few times in uh, the offseason where, similar to when you wake up after a West Coast game and you're, you know, you, you fell asleep and you're anticipating, did the Mets win? What happened? You, open, you know you open up your iPad or you get on your computer and you're like oh what, what happened you know I went to bed at midnight there was rumors that the Mets were looking at this this and this oh at two o'clock in the morning they signed this guy you know that kind of deal that that's the kind of stuff that you get or you or you you'll wake up and nothing happened which has happened too. Um, it will be interesting how the pace of these signings will will play out. obviously the big fish, the degroms of the world, the verlanders of the world, the Nimmos of the world are probably locking things up for some of the other players. You know, as teams try to fit into their budget, you know, we even talked about that a little bit as we play fun with free agents here. I mean, you really can't figure out what the Mets could spend on the bullpen because you don't know what it's going to cost to really, you know, kind of an idea what it's going to cost to keep Nimmo and and DeGrom. And also, there's not a lot of sourced information about what the Mets will do. I mean, Billy Epler and Steve Cohen have kept a tight lid on this. I mean, the Mets are really, really good. Going back to when Sandy came back. Funny, Jeff Wilpon's not in the building now. How that works. Um, just crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. So, had a lot of fun. Talk collusion. Talk Brandon Nimmo again. Dreamed about a super rotation. Threw some names out there, including the brother of the Mets closer. About you know maybe these are guys to look at. So what are we gonna do with the uh, the winter meetings? We're gonna play it by ear. I'm gonna see how things go. Um, you know we probably are gonna have to do a show, not just on Sunday. It's not gonna be the weekly feature show. I think it's gonna be. You know, probably, you know, maybe every day after news breaks or maybe one before the meetings and one after. I'll think about it. I'm going to make it so that the show stays fresh and relevant as long as it can. Great content. I don't want to waste your time. As I always say, the fact that you dedicate an hour of your time means so much. So I try to make it worth your while. I don't want you to walk away and say I just wasted an hour because you can't get that back. You could be doing a lot of other things instead of listening to me. And I saw all the great tweets over Thanksgiving, you know, with the kind words that you guys all gave about the show. And and we continue to grow. We continue to evolve. I'm, you know, beyond pleased about where this show is at. Love the partnership. Very thankful for the partnership with fan uh uh with fansided um and 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 whatnot. So, you know, it's uh you know, I'm just beyond happy about how things are going. So uh, thank you for everybody. I want to thank my partners at Fanside, and I want to thank those that listen. And we're going to continue to plug away each and every week as we charge into the winter meetings 2022. Really nice to have the normalcy of baseball offseason back. All right, that's it. I want to thank everybody for joining me in this latest edition of the Talking Bets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media do the show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkToMeetPodcast.com. No, G. Mike Silva at I'm yours, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with your meetings podcast next week. Till then, take care everybody. Meet the Mets. Meet
1: the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the Head the